Hello, good folks. Welcome back to part two of our episode, continuing our discussion with Nagash on Africa's macroeconomic situation, how it can be resolved in the various communities and countries we live in. And we really enjoyed this conversation. We hope you enjoyed the rest of it too. Enjoy, and we'll talk to you at the end of the episode. To Pod Save Africa. Welcome 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 to Pod Save Africa. Welcome. Pod Save Africa. Welcome. And this is with regards to women. Um, you know, we, we we tend to. I know a lot has been said with you know educating women and you know providing more platforms for women to be you know self-sustainable and be able to you know you know just grow you know without interference from you know male and, and, and all of that. I think there are individuals still out here who do not understand the impact of empowering women mm-hmm. and what that would do in accelerating Africa's growth. Could you mm-hmm. shed some light on that from based, based on your, your, your experience, your professional experience? What do you think or how, how, how impactful would a, a, a woman community that is, is one well-educated, you know, well-equipped in terms of uh, capacity to, to create jobs, own jobs, uh, be hired and all of that stuff. What's the impact on the African community, especially the East African community? What would that be? Well, I think it would be enormous, and I, I and I think it would be enormous for uh, for any part of Africa, right? Because that's obviously a huge segment of the population, right? And so you would think, in an ideal sense, you'd want every productive person who's who's able um, to to be working, contributing to the economy, right, in some way, shape, or form, um, and. In some countries in Africa, some countries in Africa are better than others, right? I think Rwanda is an example where you have a lot of uh, female participation, not just in politics, but also in the economy. But then in other countries, you might have a a lesser level. And so, um, you know, facilitating, encouraging, empowering women to to be full-fledged actors in, in the economy and by extension politics right because politics is about decision making right and, and about allocating funds as well and so you want women to, to play a, 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 a an extremely important role in, in political decision making um, i think it would do wonders to 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 the economy right um and i i think we can go into you know specifics but i think just broadly speaking, I think it's it's really important. And if you look back at a historical example, you look at um, post World War II U.S., um, where you had uh, during the war period, you had basically it was the first time in U.S. history where you had female participation in like manufacturing in, in different areas of the economy, and and the country never looked back after that because that was you know let's just say 50 percent of the population who previous to World War II wasn't working. Right. And so when you got them into the labor force, you get new ideas, new new ways of managing um, and just a, a new perspective of, of doing things. And so, um, you know, it's it, it, was, it was a game changer for the U.S. And, and every country after that followed as well. 
Um, and so I think for Africa, uh, I think that's something that governments, you know, have to make an immediate priority is ensuring that, um, you know, first females have full access to education from a primary level all the way to a post-secondary level. And there has to be specific efforts because, you know, we have to we have to accept the context, right? In some countries in Africa that are a little bit more traditional, they the world women has been, um, they have a more traditional view of women, right? We can, we, so I think, um, you know, combating that, uh, I think is, is, is extremely important. Um, so, yeah. So I have a question and it speaks more in line to... follow up to Adiola's question and I think as you started to talk it, it bore in my mind too that one country I can think of that shows this example of having women in leadership um, and, and pushing towards more um, economic and political advancements is Rwanda. So what are some learnings that you can see from that example of Rwanda that can be scaled to other African countries? Um, what sort of learnings can they apply towards encouraging that women participation? Yeah, for sure. I think what Rwanda has done really well, um, and that can be a model for Africa, that should be a model for Africa, is a few things. But one of the things, and it links to what I said earlier about um, people's perception, right? So if you look at Rwanda's rankings in terms of, uh, first thing, trust in government, it's extremely high. So the people have an extremely high, Rwandans have an extremely high trust in you know their president and overall their, their government system, which is important, right? Um, they also have really high levels of uh, institutional accountability, right? So like the public institutions are, are viewed very favorably, both internally in the country and externally, right? So that's, that's very high. So that's not to say that institutions are perfect, but there are, they're, they're, they're strong, right? They're strong and they have a, and they have a positive image, um, you know, internally and, and externally. Also, regulatory efficiency. So Rwanda is always, you know, within the top three, if not the top five countries in Africa, the best places to do business, right? So they have an extremely efficient administrative uh, system, right? So if you come there, you want to open a business, uh, the government removes as many barriers as they can for you to start your business as soon as possible, right? So again, this is what I was mentioning earlier about, about the government creating the, the environment for people to um, invest and, and start businesses and, and be entrepreneurial. Um, they've also embraced digitalization, right? And, you know, to some extent, it might be a little bit easier in Rwanda compared to some other countries because it's a, it's a geographically smaller country and demographically it's smaller as well. But uh, that being said, they've embraced digitalization, you know, uh, more or less better than any other country in Africa, right? To some extent, right? Um, and they've also opened themselves up to the world um, you know, through a number of investments and partnerships with uh, with foreign universities um, and entities, right? GDP growth is expected to be about you know six percent um, in the country this year, which is good, and in, it's in, in spread across the, the different industries. So, in agriculture, construction, um, real estate, manufacturing. So, they're starting to to really produce um, you know advanced products, which is something we can talk about later about diversification. Um, I think another lesson that Rwanda can share with the, with, with other African countries is, um, and it's, it's one of the questions that we talked about earlier, or that hopefully we will talk about a little bit more, um, is about, you know, the va valuing the people who live there. Right. Cause I think that's really important. Right. Because when you see 
the president of Rwanda talk, whether it's an international forum or a domestic forum, he speaks highly of the Rwandan people, right? And seemingly, right, his, his investments and the decisions that he makes are aligned with that high esteem that he has for his own people, right? And I think that's really important, right? Because you understand that the country came from one of the worst genocides that humanity has, has saw. And, and, and look at where they are now, right? Where they're, you know, one of the strongest economies in Africa. Politically, they're one of the strongest as well. And uh, I think, you know, they're also helping out other countries, you know, become more stabilized, um, you know, and that's, and that's arguable, like, uh, but, but it also shows their commitment to, to some of the, some of the other countries in Africa. But, um, but yeah, so I think this, this high esteem is really important. Um, because, you know, we tend to act out, you know, who we believe we are, and we tend to make, uh, you know, our, our actions tend to follow who we think we are. And so if you have your leader of your country consistently, um, you know, speaking highly of you and making decisions that, you know, reflect that, um, I think it has a positive bearing on also like the people who live there, their, their self-esteem, which has a direct impact on your productivity and your ability to take risks, because you cannot separate the two, like business is, is and investment is is also linked to you know what you what you think about yourself and and how you value yourself as well. So I think these are these are really important uh, to things to mention about Rwanda. Thank you, thank you. Uh, we have a follow up question. Uh, yes. Yeah, so you spoke about you know. Um, Rwanda's rank and trust in government is very high. Um, and you can speak to that being on the part of the president who's been in power for a long time. Um, and so that's been some of the, I guess, kind of accusations against him. Can yeah. you speak more to um, his leadership over, over the couple of years that he's been in power and how he's been able to kind of affect that into driving like additional leadership within the country and how has been able to affect that towards maintaining the trust um, in his leadership that he has from his people? Well, yeah, sure. I think like post, uh, post-genocide, I think he, he was able to capture the trust um, at a very deep level, right, of his, of his population. And you have to think like that cannot be an easy thing to do, right? Because you're coming from, you know, like I said, one of the worst genocides in, in, in humanity, right? and what was effectively a, a very um, brutal civil war, right? And so if you have one person emerging out of that uh, who, inst- who seems to almost instinctively uh, garner trust um, at, from, from the population, um, you know, it's something to be commended for, right? And, and the decisions that he took after uh, seemingly, you know, aligned with this vision of, you know, uniting the country, stabilizing the country, right? and trying to bring out the best in, in, in the country as well. Um, people have spoken about the fact that, you know, he's been president for a long time um, and that there is not necessarily plans for, um, you know, the most participative um, you know, political system. And so I would say this, I would say that if you look at international examples and if you look at countries that have come from, relatively low economic um, development to middle or high, they go through a period of, of um, very strong centralized decision-making um, that lasts for um, almost a generation, right? 
And so China is an example of this, right? So China, you know, people have said, and many economists have written that, you know, China has been basically the only country in the world that has taken the, like that number of people out of extreme poverty to almost middle income living, right? Um, but that was done through an extremely authoritative government, right? That needed the political power to make decisions over a long period of time, right? And so, I think there's 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 just criticism of the political system there, but I think we have to factor that in with 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 the type of decisions that are being made and the long term vision of, of of the country. And sometimes you have to balance that out as well, right? Sometimes I think we have to ask ourselves, you know, um, what do we want, right? Like, do do we want uh, if we're talking about elections, or do we want uh, a multi-party electoral system um, and elections every two years or every three years, right? Or do we, where decisions will be taken in those times because politicians make decisions based off, you know, their, their own length of term that they're going to be in power, right? And we see that all the time with uh, infrastructure investments, right? But if politicians are able to think over a longer time horizon and they're able to make the right decisions, right? Um, you know, that can have really positive impacts on the on on the economy and the long-term growth of, of the economy um so yeah so i think it's i think it's a challenging uh it's, it's a challenging situation um but i and i and i can't really say you know you know what's what's the best or or or, or you know if, if if he's in the right or if he's in the wrong but i would say that um generally speaking you know you see you do see a high level of participation especially from women in the in, in the in, in the parliamentary process um, which I think really lends itself well to the image of, of Rwanda and contributes uh, positively to its economy, right? Um, so, so yeah, I think I think it's something that you know, like these type of issues need to be taken into consideration. Um, so yeah. No, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think there is um, a wrong or right to it. Um, but I would say though that it's not uncommon in, in, on the African continent uh, for leaders to stay in power for a long time. I mean, it's mm -hmm. not the case with Mugabe in Zimbabwe, um, but what stands out about uh, Rwanda that that's able to happen and essentially growth and change is able to come out of that you know, as opposed to other African countries who've had a similar leadership structure, um, but yeah. have not been able to affect the same. Yeah, like I think I think it has to do with, you know, first his relationship with the people. I think for the most part, right, you, you, you see a high level of solidarity in Rwanda. So obviously, where there's solidarity, um, you know, uh, there's a certain level of contentment with the political system. Right. And so I think that's that's one thing. And I think in maybe other countries where you have leaders staying in power for a long period of time, you probably don't see that level of solidarity. Right. And there's and there's. There could be reasons for that, um, but I think that's that's one of the cases in Rwanda. I think you can't ignore the geographical and the demographical aspects of Rwanda too, right? I think you know you're looking at a country that that I think has 10 million people approximately, um, and that is relatively small, right? And so um, when you look at that 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 type of environment, you know it's 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 somewhat easier to to make long-term changes and and to to manage and administer a country like that than it would be for a country that's you know much larger, right? Um, and then I also think you have to look at the results, right? So I think what has made Rwanda 
um, kind of a model in Africa to some extent, right? Has been, you know, he's actually, you, you can actually see the results on the ground, right? So these are not like theoretical ideas. This is not just a president or a, or a leadership that um, is speaking, uh, you know, at different global events. But like when you actually go into the country, the situation is, 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 is vastly different. I think you can actually see you know, the concrete changes that have occurred over the past uh, past generation. And I think that's 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 strengthened his image and that's increased his credibility. Right. And so a lot of people say, like, look, I I don't it doesn't matter how long someone stays in power, as long as, you know, we're able to feed ourselves. We have a good economy. We're able to grow. We're able to go to school, et cetera, et cetera. So I think these are legitimate. Um, you know, I think these are legitimate, uh, you know, things that, that, that people have thought about when it comes to when it comes to that country. Okay, okay, so, um, and perfect, thanks, Sanigat. Thanks, Wayne, for those questions. Um, let's, let's, let's see if you can give us some, just some very quick predictions on your part. I know you talk about black swans, we can't really predict a lot of things that are happening, things that can happen or will happen, sorry. Um, but what are some key macroeconomic risks that you can kind of uh, throw out per region? Yeah, well, I think like I'll, I'll talk on a, I'll talk generally speaking about about Sub-Saharan Africa, right? So I think there's a few significant risks that are occurring, right? So one that GDP growth, real GDP growth, is expected to be very low compared to the rest of Africa or the rest of the world over the next five years, and this is a cause for concern, right? Because we know historically that uh, GDP growth in Africa has been largely driven by export-oriented uh, economies, right? And that's that's a huge problem. And so, you know, looking at like the five-year forecast, you know, global growth is expected to be on a cumulative basis, like 14%. In Africa, that's expected to be about less than 4%, right? So we're talking about like very minuscule growth. And, and why is that occurring? I think it has to do with the uncertainty around uh, oil prices and also commodity prices that leaves a lot of economies vulnerable. And then also, which also highlights the lack of diversification in African economies, right? So African economies um, uh, just lack the diversity that's needed to be competitive on a global stage, right? Um, and that has, that we can also relate that to the lack of investment that's needed, um, especially infrastructure investment that's needed for, for diversity to occur and the investment in human capital. But I think that's a, that's an extremely, um, that's an extremely, uh, you know, uh, important, uh, you know, factor and risk for, for the continent going forward, um, that there's going to be very low growth over the next uh, few years. Also, you know, related to that is the, diff the, the growing gap between resource intensive economies in Africa and non-resource intensive economies in Africa. So countries like Angola, Nigeria, um, you know, which are large oil exporters are expected to have very little growth over the next five years on, on real terms, right? And again, that has to do with, you know, their principal uh, part of their economy is, 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 is oil and, and the realization that the, the global economy is moving to um, a, not a resource, um, sorry, a renewable resource uh, type, type, uh, type energy system, right? And so oil is just not gonna play the same role it's gonna be that it has in over the past 10 or 15 years. And so coming to that realization and then looking at the non-resource intensive economies in Africa, that could be countries like um, 
uh, Mauritius. Um, Kenya has always been a, a, a great uh, example. Um, Tanzania has been growing quite well. And then, you know, obviously South Africa has a very diversified economy. So looking at that gap um, is going to be really, is going to be really important, uh, really important over the next few years. Um, yeah, and then looking at extreme poverty, right? So 2020 was an extremely um, tough year for, for the world, but principally in Africa as well. And so in 2020, we saw 32 million additional people in Africa, um, uh, you know, join the, the ranks of extreme poverty, right? That's, those are new people, right? These are people who have like lost their sources of income and have went from, you know, a, a low income or, or a poverty level to an extreme poverty level where you're surviving on a day-to-day -day basis, right? And so th these are huge numbers. And, you know, without significant reforms and significant investment, it's going to be hard to, uh, to, to, to address that, right? Because what, what has happened in 2020 is that you've had a significant regression in the quality of life in many African countries and for many African people. And so if you look at um, GDP per capita, GDP per capita in Africa in 2020 has went back to 2013 numbers. And that's not expected to stabilize uh, for the next five years. Right, so it's five years to get back to where you were in 2013. Right, so you're talking about almost a lost generation of people um, who are who 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 you know who, who obviously uh, who obviously need uh, you know growth and in incomes, um, and it also highlights the need for for stronger social safety nets. Right, and so you saw in places like Canada, the U.S., Australia. In some of these more developed countries that even with uh, a global recession right and a, and a pandemic um, people were able to somehow survive right and that a lot of it had to do with government support right so government came in supported small businesses and supported individuals right and so what that highlights is that in africa we don't have that enough we don't have strong enough social safety nets we don't have the support system from the public sector that allows people to weather economic storms right and so when there's a pandemic you don't lose everything, right? The government has to come in and you know use tax revenues to support these individuals to make sure that they don't completely get lost in in in, in the chaos and are not able to reemerge, right? And so this is a fundamental role of government. And in too many African countries, the social safety net is either non-existent or very weak. And so that is something that governments need to address. And this is a a very efficient use, and I think it's a widely accepted use of taxpayer revenues that will have very little. Um, you know, pushback in terms of government spending, right? Supporting, especially the, the most vulnerable in the economy during times of economic difficulties, I think is, is highly regarded. And so for that to occur, you need strong institutions, right? And so, um, you know, African countries need to continue to work on strong and uh, improving their institutional capabilities and moving away from, you know, personalization of, of power or leadership, right? Into more, um, into, into more institutionalized focus, right? And just having a re having a respect for these institutions and letting these institutions outlast whatever politicians or whatever political leaders um, exist at, at the current moment. And then I would say like what I was mentioning earlier, high debt. Like I think there's, there's too many African countries that have uh, high levels of debt and that debt is denominated in foreign currencies. And that's extremely, uh, ex that, you know, that, that's potentially high risk, right? Um, you know, all it takes is missing one uh, uh, bond payment, and and you're, you're 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 considered a default, and then you're basically banished from uh, international credit markets, right? 
Um, and so, and you've seen other cases where the money has been borrowed from a country like China for infrastructure investments. There's been talk about, um, you know, what these countries have to give up uh, in terms of their natural resources in order to pay off their debts, right? So looking at domestic sources of revenue and trying to issue debt in local currency, I think it's going to be fundamental. But, you know, in terms of the risk, it's, um, it's, 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 it's these high debt loads. Um, thanks for that, Nagash. Um, I think oftentimes, you know, When it comes to Africa, we talk about the same thing over and over. When it comes to our leaders, you know, being corrupt, you know, staying in office for so long and, you know, one step forward, 29 steps back and all of that stuff. Um, what's the role of technology in all of this? I had a chat with a colleague uh, quite recently, and one of the things he mentioned was, you know, we are not seeing the advantage uh, as a continent uh, of technology because, you know, earlier in the conversation today, you had mentioned that we lack infrastructure. And that lack of infrastructure is what will make a lot of this, you know, uh, 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 progress, you know, actually manifest. But now we're seeing technology as an avenue, or do you see it as an avenue that could help us skip, you know, some of these processes, some of this diversification of natural resources we're talking about? So things like fighting climate change, um, can tech help? Uh, things like, um, you know, um, bringing the government closer to the people or enhancing communication. You know, yeah. can tech help you know so all of this thing you know what is the role of technology in right. should i say fast forward in africa or african countries you know yeah. to a level where we can be sustainable yeah i think so i think i think technology is going to be crucial for growth in africa and i think it's it's going to be the factor that's going to if anything jumpstart um you know uh really strong economic growth hopefully in the future right i mean that's the advantage that africa has amongst other advantages i think technological adaptation is going to be a fundamental one, right? Um, and you already see in Africa, Africa has the highest uh, um, uh, mobile money penetration in the world, right? So that's already a good example that Africans adopt uh, technology much faster than the rest of the world. I mean, between Africa and the next country, the, the gap is, is huge, right? Uh, you also see really high uh, mobile phone um, uh, penetration there as well. So I think technology is going to be fundamental in terms of how technology can help, you know, with diversifying economies um, and also in increasing transparency. I think there's a lot of options on the table. I mean, with the smartphone now, you can potentially have uh, referendums, right? You can have referendums on different decisions. You know, take a look at a country uh, like Switzerland, right? Switzerland, which is a small country, uh, the people literally vote for almost all major government spending on an individual basis, right? It's not the government who necessarily takes the decision. It's 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 a uh, it's um it's the people, and so you can have that uh, in 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 many African countries, right? Where you can have you know text messages where you know you get all the information about a specific project, right? And then you know people can say yes or no. And, you know, it can be a way for, uh, for, for the public to participate, um, be aware of what's going on and, and also to, to get their approval on specific projects. Right. Um, so I think I think technology is going to be, you know, really fundamental. And then using technology as, um, you know, as for, for to find solutions to common problems, I think is going to be uh, very, you know, very important as well. So. So, yeah, like I think. Um, I think technology is going to be, you know, like really, really, really important, and I think it's going to, um, you know, increase uh, the creativity, the creative, the creative uh, spirit, or entrepreneurial spirit that a lot of African youth have, right? So yeah.
I have um, a question and it might be a new question, uh, but indulge me anyways. Um, I was wondering how much of an impact is it of the age of African countries towards, you know, where they are in their economic and uh, political uh, space. So most of African countries gained their independence in the late 1800s to 1900s. Um, and so is it uh, we are at an unfair advantage having to play catch up with the rest of the world um, and having to deal with much larger issues like climate change that were not, I guess, an, really an issue at the time where these African countries were at our age or at our level. Can yeah. you speak more to that or do you think that it doesn't have an impact at all? Well, I know I think you brought up like a really good point and I think it's a point that's been talked about a lot about you know, first thing like Africa's contribution to like climate issues, and then um, you know uh, the, the 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 post-colonial period and the colonial period's impact on current development, right? And I think you cannot deny that obviously, uh, uh, you know, colonization and the post-colonization period and other factors have 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 had a negative impact on on African uh, on African economic development. Um, and and you could probably strongly argue that uh, you know Africa hasn't been a major contributor to uh, to to global uh, to global um, CO two emissions, right? Um, we're just not a, a manufacturing continent like uh, like China is or like Europe is, right? All that being said, um, we still have to accept the fact that we still we live in the world where climate change is occurring whether we like it or not and we're seeing increases in temperature across uh, across the world um, and also in Africa and what that means is that you, you you're getting increased droughts in a lot of places and so farmers are not able to to grow crops uh, or as many crops in, in the season that they like or sometimes the whole growing season is completely wasted um, just due to lack of water and so what that means is that um, you have to fill the food gap and so food uh, has to be imported and that obviously is more expensive, right? And you need foreign currency to do that. And so what you've seen, um, not just in Africa, but in other places is, is a global increase in the cost of food, right? The cost of staple foods as well. So regardless if, you know, um, Africa was a major contributor, I think at the end of the day, we're still uh, living in the world where we have to deal with the consequences of, 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 of these issues. And so we have to find solutions uh, to them, right? Um, and so, yeah, and then speaking of, you know, like the, the period that you're talking about, the independence period and the pre-independence period of, of a lot of African countries, one thing that I've always said is that what's really important, I think, um, in terms of the, the education system in Africa is to teach history from a pre-colonial level, right? Um, so to understand, I think when people understand their history, their roots, their culture, um, they tend to value their, their continent and their country more and their people more and they tend to you know be more uh like participatory in in the economy and in the in the in the whole society right and so i think what a lot of african countries need to do is they need to focus in on a lot of history that predates colonial history because a lot of african countries that weren't countries let's say 200 years ago contributed a lot to uh global science global mathematics right um and so these are things that have to be known um, you know, and it has to be put into the mind of, uh, of, of the African youth so they can feel that, you know, they've contributed to humanity from 7,000 years ago, from 8,000 years ago. And so a lot of these ideas that we have now um, that exist in the world, they're originally, their original sources from Africa, right? And so there's a lot of literature already on, um, 
on the ancient Greeks who came to Africa, right? Who came to Sub-Saharan, who came to North Africa, then Sub-Saharan Africa, and took so uh, a lot of um, scientists, um, uh, scientific, scientific theories and mathematical formulas, and basically copied and pasted them and used them as their own. And that was kind of spread throughout throughout history. And so now we attribute a lot of things to Europeans that were actually African in origin, right? Um, so these are things that we need to that we need to we need to learn about. Um, there's a lot of a lot of there were there were a lot of great civilizations in Africa, um, you know, from 5,000, 6,000, 10,000 BC. I mean, they're finding pyramids from 10,000 BC. Um, you know, that's you know, pyramids haven't people still don't understand the technology behind pyramids, right? So I think like even though we're talking about history, I think it's really important, right? Because when you know your history. Uh, you're able to kind of, um, you know, direct your future a little bit better, I think. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Um, I don't have any questions right now. Do you, do you have a follow-up question? My final question, Nagash, thank you, would be, what is the role of a diaspora in getting Africa to the next level? Yeah, I think... I think the I think um, the diaspora is, is fundamental to uh, to 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 the development to the future development of Africa because never have we seen in the history of Africa a large population living outside the continent that's been educated outside the continent right um, that has resources and assets outside of the continent right and so. Uh, the, you know, these individuals are still African in, in origin and they still have their hearts and minds in the right place. And I'm sure many of them would like to go back um, and make a positive contribution. And so the role of the diaspora is huge. Um, and I, I think it's, it's, it's fundamental that, uh, you know, that the African diaspora contributes to the economic growth of, 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 their, of their countries, of their respective countries. How they do it, I think, is I think it's it's up for debate, right? I think you know we can talk about investment, right? Um, uh, we can also talk about uh, political participation, right? Um, we can talk about uh, you know uh, cultural preservation, right? Um, so there's there's a lot of different things we can say, but uh, I think at the end of the day, we we have to uh, explicitly say that the African diaspora is. Is, is, is a key player, a key actor in the development of, of, of all African countries. Um, and we have to assume that responsibility. And so what we've seen with other dias, dias, uh, diasporic communities um, is that they've, they've really leveraged the, the country that they're living in to make decisions for the benefit of their, their home countries, right? And so this is something that uh, with strong coordination and organization, a lot of the African diaspora can do to make sure that the countries that they're living in, the policies that they're developing, um, you know, are for the benefit of, of, the, of the actual home countries and not necessarily the benefit of, of that country. Um, or at least it's a more even relationship, right? So leveraging those relationships, I think is going to be really important. So, you know, that could be something like Africans uh, creating organizations that uh, like public, uh, 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 public, like lobby groups, right? Or like public policy organizations, right? That lobby their current government to make a series of efforts. Um, and, and that works, right? Uh, and that works. And we've seen that time and time again with different communities that, um, you know, their home country has made to decisions up until the point of like going to war for 
to uh, on behalf of the, the the diaspora population, right? And so, um, you know, I think this is this is a very key role, and it involves a lot of coordination, a lot of unity, solidarity between the African diaspora, um, and and just working working to find solutions com uh, to common problems. Um, thank you. I, I know I said last question, last one, but this is the final question for me. <laughs> for me, um, when you think of Africa right now, um, and I know you're, you know, yeah, we talk about the continent as a whole, East Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, North Africa, South Africa. What are your hopes for the future? Um, are you optimistic or are you pessimistic, and why? Yeah. Um... Well, I'm, I, I like to be always on the side of optimism because I think when you're optimistic, you tend to reflect that in your actions, right? So I try to be as optimistic as possible. Um, but I think there's some things to be concerned about, right? Like I think um, first thing, you know, the lack of diversification in these African in, in a lot of African economies. I think that's that's something that's not talked about enough, right? Um, so you know, you see that uh, in a lot of uh, in a lot of African uh, economies, exports are always targeted towards external markets outside the continent, right? And so what you need is a situation where uh, um, trade barriers to trade are, are reduced to, to almost nothing. And then there's a free movement of, of goods, people and capital within the African continent. I think this is going to be um, a game changer for Africa if we're able to fully implement it. And you've seen that with the African uh, free trade agreement, like that was a step in the right direction, right? But it hasn't created fundamental shifts in you know, the direction of exports. Um, so it's, it's so that's number one. So the direction of exports is really important and, 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 and that needs to change. And also the type of products that Africans are producing, right? So I think too many African countries, and this is for me a cause for concern, is too many African countries are still in the um, in, the, in the exporting of raw commodities, un, unprocessed raw commodities, right? And I don't think, you know, for an undiversified economy, I don't think there's anything worse that can happen. Um, and the reason why I say that is because, yes, it's a source of revenue, but it's only a source of revenue as long as international commodity prices are high. As soon as international commodity prices, um, you know, start to drop off or crash, which, which has happened many times, you see an, in a significant drop in the revenues of, of the government. Um, and that has a, an immediate impact on the, on the lives of the people who live in that country. So what you need is a more diversified economy uh, that produces uh, refined goods, right? So this could be like advanced manufacturing, right? I think Africa has a youthful population, an educated population that can participate in international supply chains, right? I think the cost of doing business in Africa um, it's affordable for many countries. And I think there's a lot of benefits there, right? So it's all about convincing, um, you know, multinational companies to, to, to put in this, at least one key component or some of their key components of their international supply chains within Africa, right? And the government, uh, you know, directing the economy and directing, you know, human capital development to support that type of manufacturing and that type of production. Um, so I think that's, that's, that's really important, but overall, like I'm always optimistic. I think like our, I think Africans are, are innovative, creative. I think we find solutions where a lot of people would not find solutions. So I remain optimistic, but I, I think without explicit, clear, actionable steps, I, I, I think we run the risk of, of, uh, of us losing a generation of people who can contribute to you know the global economy and also global humanity right like i think there's an there's enough brilliance in africa that um that, and as i was just saying 
there's, a, there's, a, there's already been a significant number of contributions that African have made to science and mathematics in the world um, that if we don't make those investments now, we sometimes take a generation to kick in. Uh, we, you know, we risk losing that population, right? Um, so I think it's really important that uh, the government start taking their, their roles and responsibilities quite seriously. And also us as people, you know, whether we're in the diaspora or we're living in the continent, start thinking about ways that we can improve, uh, you know, the countries that we live in, um, you know, not just for a short period of time, but over the long term. So. Thank you. Thank you. I'm done. Thank you. <laughs> so I think uh, we've come to the end of the, the podcast uh, for today. I want to thank you for, for your time um, again, and thank you for all the insights that you shared um, over the course of uh, a couple of minutes that we spent together here. Um, and so we hope to follow up with you, Positive Africa listeners, on the conversation we've had so far. Um, if you've enjoyed this conversation, please let us know if you have any thoughts or any additional um, insights you want to share in any of the things that we've discussed, let us know. Uh, thank you again. Thank you for your time. And we'll talk to you later. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, I really appreciate you guys having me on the show. And and uh, and, I'm, and, uh, and um, I think what you guys are doing is great. I think uh, having a forum like this to discuss African issues is, is, is uh, really great. And I, and, I like the, and I like the fact that it's Africans speaking it and speaking for themselves. Yes. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, we look forward to continuing this series with you with our next set of interviews. Um, it is quite likely we'll be taking a little bit of a break to reorganize and to line up more guests for you. Um, thank you for listening in. We wish you a wonderful rest of your October. And uh, thank you. And for, don't forget to follow us at Pod Save Africa 